Well, I know what you're thinking. What's he have that on for? Do you know what this is? It's a bulletproof vest. And you know, do you know why I'm wearing it? Have you seen my verse for the day? Wives, be submissive to your husbands. I mean, I wasn't born just yesterday. I, I got to protect myself a little bit here because uh, this, this is a difficult sermon to preach. It's interesting. If married guys are going to know one Bible verse, it's liable to be this one. Wives, submit to your husband. And then for a lot of ladies, that verse becomes very problematic. Listen to this guy. A husband had just finished reading a new book, You Can Be the Man of Your House. He stormed into the kitchen and walked directly up to his wife and pointing a finger in her face, he said sternly, from now on, you need to know that I'm the man of the house and my word is law. You'll prepare me a gourmet dinner tonight and when I'm finished eating, you'll serve me a sumptuous dessert. Then you'll go draw my bath water so I can relax and then you'll wash my back and towel me, and, and towel me dry and then bring my robe. And then you'll massage my hands and my feet. Then after that's done, guess who's going to dress me and comb my hair? And she replied, the funeral director would be my guess. <laughs> well, we're dealing with a highly sensitive issue today, and I want to get through this. But I trust I'm among friends, so I'm going to take off my my bulletproof vest here and uh, trust that I'll survive this sermon. Now, I've got the shield of the word. We're going to stand and I'm going to read this passage to you. <clears throat> and uh, I trust the Spirit of God will translate it into your heart as to what he wants to say to us in the 21st century written by the Apostle Peter in the first century. Likewise, wives... Be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious." For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. You may be seated. Okay. It is straight talk to wives today. And after reading that, you're probably wondering why I didn't entitle the sermon Desperate Housewives. But I want you to know that next week I'll be talking to the guys, straight talk about a guy's uh, situation in the marriage. So uh, today, the wives. Let me put this passage in perspective, in context. We're coming through 1 Peter, and there is a grouping of authorities that are there. The first authority in chapter 2 is the government. And Peter is saying that Christians need to come under the government in chapter 2. He goes on to say that there is the authority of the workplace. Back then it was the master slave. Today it's the boss employee. And there's an authority the boss has, chapter 2, and we're to come under that. Even though it may be a difficult thing to come under a boss, he says, do it for the Lord's sake to walk in his steps. So authority one is the government. Authority two is the workplace. Now we come to authority three. It is the home. And here in this realm, it's asking the wife to submit to her husband, chapters 3, Chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. 
Now, I, I want you to know that Old North Church believes in the Word of God. We believe it's profitable. We believe it's powerful. We don't take a scissors to it and cut out the areas that seem to be difficult or not easy to follow. And this is certainly one of them. And if you understand what the Apostle Peter is talking about here, this truth will be a great liberation for marriages. But the other problem is we have a fallen nature. And we are indoctrinated by our culture. So when we read something like this, it kind of bristles us a little bit. I want you to know, God is not up in heaven trying to think of ways to sell us down the creek. He's not up there trying to send us curveballs that are going to hurt us in marriage. He knows what's best. After all, he created marriage. And this is his word to us. Well, we might be tempted to think also that Peter is writing to the culture of his day. And you know that women were suppressed and maybe he's just taking some of those Roman ideas and taking it over to the church. You need to understand Peter is not doing that. Peter is laying out the principles and roles of marriage right from the beginning when God created marriage. And so we have something here that is so important for us to absorb because the problem, the problem is not the model. It is the abuse of the model. So you have husbands who are not leading well, and they hurt their wives, and you have wives who are not following well, and they cause their husbands all kinds of problems. It's not the model. It is the people who live in that model. And when God designated marriage and designed it, it was simply to be this, that a husband would use his leadership to serve his wife and not himself. Did you get that? using his leadership to serve his wife and not himself, and that a wife would yield to her husband and his beneficial activities towards her and not sabotage him. Now, I see something here that I want you to understand because you might be thinking that Peter is advancing what happened back in Genesis chapter 3. Remember back Genesis chapter 3? The fall happened, and then Adam and Eve sinned, and now three judgments came, or three punishments came from the Lord. One to the serpent, one to the wife, and one to the husband. And you might be thinking, well, maybe Peter is picking up that one to the wife, and he's, he's kind of underlining it or underscoring it in his writing. Absolutely not. I want to be clear about that. And so, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16, God said to the woman, you shall desire, your desire shall be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. Friends, that's the punishment. God never intended husbands to rule over their wives. And the women, if you understand what it means here, is that she had a sense that she wanted to control her husband. And so ever since the fall, the curse on the woman was, your husband's going to boss you around and you're going to want to control him and some people think that's God's order. That's God's punishment. And what Peter is trying to do is reverse that curse and say, husbands, you lead for your wife's benefit and wives, stop trying to control your husbands. That's what he's saying here. So now we get to 1 Peter 3. And here's this wife married to a guy who's not leading well. He's disobedient to the word it says and it's become a problem for the wife. What does she do? Well, here's the big idea out there clear in verse 1. Peter says, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Now, this is hard teaching. It really is. And I called my wife this week and I said, Marie, 
I'm preaching on being subject to your husbands. And I said, this is going to be hard. I'm afraid I'm going to mess some people up. They're going to, they're going to, what's that all about? I can't do that and everything. And she says, oh, honey, you, you've taught this before. You can do it again. I said, I know, but I'd rather do Psalm 23 because <laughs> that's so easy. But I want to tell you, that might be funny, but I'm not going to gloss over anything. I'm going to lay out Peter's words as he speaks them, as he wants them taught. And so we're going to see three principles in this text that will help us understand what he means when he says, wives, submit to your own husbands. Here's the first principle. Principle number one, a wife's submission to her husband is her greatest power. Now, I didn't think this up. This is Peter, under the authority of the Holy Spirit, teaching us that a wife's submission to her husband is her greatest power. It is not in her opposing him and resisting him. It is in submitting to him. Now, Peter ties this submission of the wives to her husbands to those former two authorities I had just talked about. When he says in verse 1, likewise, or in a similar way, what does that likewise take you? Where does it take you? It takes you back to the one before. Likewise, as the servant is to submit to the master, likewise, as the, as the uh, citizen is to submit to the state, so should the wife submit to her husband. Now, that word submit in Greek is used 40 times in the New Testament, and it has a general military significance that the commander would array and line up his troops for battle and that he would do the best he could to make sure they were preserved and protected and did the best in battle. But it was a submission that was a mutuality, but there was a commander. In the general sense of the word, it means to yield, to surrender, to defer out of respect to an authority above you. The word does not mean, yes, sir, I'm taking an order. It doesn't mean that at all. That's another word. So a Christian wife must understand that she's under the authority of her husband by the will of God, and she's to follow his lead. Now, it doesn't say anything that they can't talk about things and discuss and give different viewpoints and be collegial in this. It doesn't say anything like that. What it ends up saying is in the end, if the line has to be given for a final decision, the husband gets to make that. And the wife needs to follow along. Which leads me to an interesting piece about that word itself, that word submit. In our text today, if you know anything about uh, grammar, the active voice, the middle voice, this is a middle voice. And it's not exactly translated the way best it could be in our text today where it says, wives, be submissive to your husband. It really means and should be translated, wives, submit yourselves. See, the active voice would be the husband trying to make you submit. He can't make you submit. You have a choice. And your choice is, will you follow God's orders? Will you follow God's model? And will you choose to submit to your husband? And if you do, Peter says, you've made the right choice. Now, it's a blessing to be under a good husband who leads well, who cares about his wife, who makes sure she's cared for, makes sure she's protected. And he uses his authority to benefit his wife. That is a great arrangement. But what if a husband doesn't get it? What if he's using his authority in ways to benefit himself and actually make life hard for the wife? What then? What does she do? Is she to leave? 
Paul says, excuse me, Peter says, no. You submit, dear wife. Now, I'm going to come on to the wives in just a moment, a little bit later on, what I want to say to them. Right now, I want to take a little parenthesis, and I'm going to talk to the single ladies who might want to get married. Anybody here, you don't have to wave your hand. But I suspect there might be one or two or three or four or five, you ladies, that might be interested in marriage sometime. I need to say something to you. The surest way to end up with a disobedient husband is to date and marry a disobedient boyfriend. You hear what I said? The surest way to end up with a disobedient husband is to date and marry a disobedient boyfriend. You see, God never tells the, the people who are dating the girl to submit to the disobedient boyfriend. God doesn't believe in that kind of evangelism where you're going to go and, and try to uh, uh, submit to a person to lead in the Christ because you love them. That can happen more times than not. It doesn't. No, that's not God's will for you. You are to date and marry a godly leader. And then you're going to be much better off when you're finally married and, and, and be able to submit to a husband who's leading you well. So the number one thing, single girls, that you should be looking for when you date a man is a Christian who shows you good leadership. And the number one clue that you'll have a difficult marriage or an easier one is whether you are going to marry a disobedient boyfriend or not. Now, if a guy is selfish and shows a temper and he's not interested in spiritual things and he's got a potty mouth and he pushes to take you to bed before you're married, he's showing you he's disobedient. You've got to make tracks. You've got to break off that relationship. You've got to get out of that thing because if you go on with him, it'll only get worse after you get married. It always does. So, single ladies... Look for a godly man that leads you in godly ways, and you, you'll be happy to submit to a man like that. And if submission is not your thing, ladies, the Bible never says, thou shalt get married. Maybe you shouldn't get married if you don't want to submit to a husband, because Peter says, once you get married, you need to submit even to a disobedient husband. Now, let's come to the married Christian ladies. Peter's saying here is the wisdom of God. But I have to tell you, it sounds foolishness to our culture. It seems ludicrous for a wife to submit to a husband who ignores the word and is disobedient to God and might be doing some things that will hurt her spirit. But, the, but Peter says the greatest power a woman has is that she would submit to him in the hopes that he would come to Christ and become obedient. This is so counterintuitive, and I will tell you why. Because a wife's submission to her husband, she doesn't recognize many times that is her greatest power. Do you know what many women think their greatest power is? Words. Words. That their words are the greatest power. And that's exactly what Peter says a woman shouldn't do with her husband. You see what he says there? So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one, how? Without a word, by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. What is Peter saying? A lady's conduct has more power than her words. So knock off the words and show respect and purity. So does that, does that mean then, women, that you shouldn't be using a lot of words on your disobedient husband? I think that's what he said. Because he's saying basically no nagging and no preaching. If a, wife, if a husband isn't living 
according to the Bible, all of your words are in vain. And I will tell you that in 40 years of ministry, I have never, ever seen one case where a woman's words has changed your husband. I've just never seen it. It may be there, and if you're one of them, I'd like to know it. It just seems to be very, very ineffectual. So, don't keep verbally correcting him. Don't keep reminding him of his shortcomings. Don't keep telling him what he ought to be doing. Don't keep putting Bible verses on his beer can. Don't keep telling what Pastor Al says when you, take, when you go. Don't do those things. They won't work. Because there's something louder than words. It's silence with conduct and beauty. Yes, he said respect. A wife needs to somehow let her husband know that she respects him in her attitude. In fact, it's interesting, study after study for the last 35 years keeps on saying that there are two things every or most men need most from a woman. Number one is respect. Number two is, you can imagine what that one is, okay? And they keep on coming back to that. And it's amazing how Peter and Paul nail this respect thing in their writings. Now, I know what some of you might be thinking. But what if I don't respect him? What if there's nothing to respect? How do you fake it? How do you become a hypocrite? Do you know it took me 35 years to figure this one out? How, I'm a slow learner, how it is that a wife can respect her husband that she cannot disrespect, that she cannot respect? Here's how you do it. Ladies, you stop disrespecting your husband. That's how you start to respect them. You stop disrespecting. So you don't undermine him. You don't belittle him. You don't run him down to your friends. You don't air all his faults and shortcomings in prayer meeting and small group. <laughs> That's how you begin to respect your husband. You stop disrespecting him. And then purity. What's that about? He's talking about this beauty of purity, free from moral defilement. And a pure wife is committed to be virtuous in everything she does, even when she feels wounded. So she does not resort to shady and wrong dealings. She doesn't sneak around her husband. She won't lie to him. She won't swear and throw things. She won't yell and scream. None of that is purity. And so Peter says that this disobedient husband has a better than even chance of coming to the Lord when the wife becomes quiet and lives a respectful and pure life of conduct in front of him and that lifestyle over time can pay some dividends. And so the first point that Peter makes is that your greatest power with your disobedient husband is in your conduct, not your words. The second principle, a wife's inner beauty is her greatest beauty. A wife's inner beauty is her greatest beauty. Now, you all know what we're conditioned to in America. We're conditioned to the woman's greatest beauty is what you see, uh, how they dress and how they make up and all those kinds of things and, and uh, sexy, glamorous look. And if you want proof that that isn't strong enough to hold guys and, and so forth, just look at all the breakups that happen all the time. After all this glamour gets together, they can't stand each other, and they break up. And the truth is, is that beauty can attract, but it cannot, it cannot maintain. Not that external beauty. So Peter is right on target. And he tells the women, the Christian wives, don't make your outward appearance your sole emphasis. Because that's not how you, who you really are. And that's not going to really last in the long haul. So it's okay to have that, but don't make that your only emphasis. 
I grew up in a very conservative community of faith. They use this verse, do not let your adorning be external only, hairstyle, jewelry, makeup, and the clothes you wear, to be how they ordered themselves in the church. And so they wouldn't wear any jewelry, including wedding rings. They would put absolutely no makeup on, no attractive hairstyles, no fashionable dresses. And I remember as a child, most of those ladies <laughs> wouldn't even shave their legs. And so what we ended up was with a whole bunch of homely-looking women in the church thinking they were obeying the Bible. That's not the way it is. There is nothing in the Bible that says you shouldn't look good for your husband. In fact, maybe some of you are old enough to remember Burt Bacharach's song, Wives and Lovers. And I'm, gonna, I'm not a singer, but here it comes, okay? Hey, little girl, comb your hair, fix your makeup. Soon he will open the door. Don't think because there's a ring on your finger you needn't try anymore. Anybody hear that one? Yeah. Ladies, look good for your husband. Your husband's going to go to an office with a dozen people that look good. You look as good as them, all right? So let's get that settled right now. But it can't be the only focus. There needs to be the primary beauty of her inner person. Peter says the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. That's the beauty that should be on display along with the external beauty. They go together. Now in verse 4, Peter tells us what a woman's inner beauty really is. A gentle and quiet spirit. Now he isn't saying that a woman can't be bubbly and energetic and outgoing and those kinds of things. And he isn't saying that uh, she should be quiet and, and, and never heard from. But what it is saying here is that she's not harsh and attacking. She's not vengeful, vengeful and retaliating. She's not yelling. She's not doing all kinds of crazy bad things. Rather, she's exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the inner beauty she's looking for. Is it hard? Yes, it is, especially if you have a jerk for a husband. Really, really hard. But he says, that is the beauty you need to find, that hidden beauty of the person, because that also, when it goes to submission, helps to win the husband to Christ. Now, there's a third principle that I want you to see. He says, and I'll do this quickly, a wife's good role models are her greatest examples. Do you know that there's a shortage of role models for women in this world? Uh, I, I don't recommend Cosmopolitan and Oprah and other kinds of things like that because they're on a different wavelength. They're out there uh, on uh, the externals and, and all the kinds of things that you shouldn't be into before you get married and those kinds of things. And you go to the church. Often there's not a lot of good role models in the church because they don't know, they've never been trained. And Peter's saying, let me settle this once and for all. You want some good role models, I'm going to give you some. How about the godly wives of the Bible? The godly wives of the Bible. Study them. Come to know how they live with their husbands, how they got along, what they did, how they adorned themselves. And this is exactly where he takes us. And he represents those ladies by calling the name of a woman Sarah. And Sarah, he said, had three great actions as a role model. Number one was she hoped in God, as did these other ladies. Now listen, the husband was the head of that home. And so 
One day, God came to Abraham and said, you're going to leave Ur of the Chaldees. You're going to go across the Fertile Crescent to a land you don't even know where you're going. And you're going to take your family with you. And so what did Sarah have to do? She had to submit. And so she's following a husband who has no idea what the directions are. You ever have a husband do that? You know, they, with your husband, you know what the one things they will not do? Stop and ask for directions. But anyway, here he's going, and she has to submit to him over those hundreds of miles that he's going someplace where God wants him to go. She had to trust God because you know how important security is for wives. The second thing is they adorned themselves, not only externally, but they put on this quiet and gentle spirit, and Peter ties Sarah's act of submitting to also her adorning in verse 4. And then her action three, it says, they submitted to their own husbands. Trusted God, adorned themselves, submitted to their husbands. And um, you can see that she let him know that he was the head of the house. How do you know that? It says that she called him Lord. Now, I know what some of you ladies are thinking. I knew this would go south before he was done. I am not going home and call my husband Lord. <laughs> no, please don't do that. That's what they did back then, you know, to let them know. But not now. And if your husband, when you come home, says, Pastor Al said to call me Lord, I want you to call, have him call me because I want to set him straight, okay? And then, because, uh, no, he shouldn't be wanting to be call, called Lord. But he is the head of the home. And if he's the head of the home, that smart husband is going to be about making his wife comfortable, going to be about making requests and seeking advice and discussion for courses of action, going to be try to be as collaborative as possible, that they are mutual journey persons on this trip called marriage, and that God ordained him for her well-being. That's what the leadership is all about. It's not about power plays. So Peter says that wives who imitate Sarah's Become daughters of Sarah, a special class of women. And I pray that there will be a special class of women at Old North Church who submit to their husbands and adorn themselves and know who to look to for role models. And they will become daughters of Sarah. Well, church, that's Peter's teaching on submission to the husbands. But I realized as I was finishing up, I couldn't stop without clarifying a few things because I know that there are some questions out there. I would have some questions. So I want to deal with four of the main ones that you might be wondering about before we leave here. Number one, wives may experience some difficulties with a husband who is disobedient to the word. You just need to know that can happen sometimes. And Peter says, don't leave them. Show them your beauty. Show them your submission. And over time, God may bring them to obedience. So that's where we start. But now here's where we're coming so that you don't think the husband can take advantage of you or that you're enabling him by submitting. Number two, <clears throat> wives should submit to their husbands except when they're asked to violate the commands of God. You know, the authorities line up. God, the government, the church, the home, and so forth. They need to line up, but when there is no alignment and they move away from God's dictates, then you have to obey God rather than man. And so if a husband comes to his wife and says, I want you to sign a false income tax return, can't do that. Well, if he gets really mad, I'd rather, I'd rather him be mad at me than God be mad at me. 
Or suppose a husband is, is trying to have his wife do things sexually that go against the word of God. Graciously refuse. You can't do that. You don't submit to a husband who takes you into sin. The third thing is wives must realize that her husband's authority also comes under other authorities, the church and the government. What am I talking about? If a husband is abusing his authority, a wife can go appeal to another authority outside of the home. If she is being beaten, if she's being abused and those kinds of things, you can't keep that a family secret. You've got to go to a social agency. You've got to go to a rescue center. Go to the church or something and get some help and appeal to another authority. There may need to be an intervention. And God never is turning his head the other way while women are being beaten. And the fourth one. Wives must realize that there are times they must separate from a dangerous and abusive husband. God isn't expecting wives to be the objects of dangerous physical, emotional, and mental abuse. And when she has done all that she can, there are times an intervention must happen and she must leave the domicile and be tucked away from where people might know she is for her own preservation and so her husband doesn't stand before the Lord and give an account for more than he should as he keeps on doing that. So there are times that separation may have to happen in imminent danger. Well, I've given it my best shot. That's what I believe Peter had to say today. Some of you may not agree with me. Some of you may. Some of you may be feeling a lot of emotions, and some of you have a lot of questions. I would just say to you, be like the Bereans. Go home and look this passage over and see what the Spirit of God says and to, and to validate that in your heart. Well, I had planned, as I said, to speak to husbands and wives today. Husbands, come back next week because it's your turn, okay? Straight talk to husbands. But now we've come to a response. And here's the response that God has laid on my heart. If somehow God has spoken to you as a husband or a wife about anything that needs to be tweaked, that needs to be forgiven, that needs to be changed, that you need to take a, tech, take a next step in, I'm going to ask you while we're singing to come down to the front and make this a prayer meeting. Make this a place where you come before the Lord and pray and cry out to him. And so if God has spoken to a husband or a wife about anything, as they did in the first service, a lot of them came forward, do so in the second and get something a little bit more on track. Or perhaps you're here and you know of a husband and wife who are struggling and you want to come up and intercede for them as well and pray for them. Yes, we are turning this into a little prayer meeting right now for people who need the touch of God in their lives as husbands and wives. According to what Peter has said today, we want to make sure we follow his lead. And so, you come, would you stand? As the music plays, if God has spoken to you, you come down for prayer, and then when the song is over, I'll pray for all who come down.